Welcome to Chef Bork's cooking show. Is that from the Muppets or something? Uh-huh. Love the Muppet show. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. I grew up with that show. That was like the weekly. Back when you had to like schedule your life around the shows on TV. Mm-hmm. Couldn't just bring up anything you wanted at any point. Let's see. Uh... Are you 152? Let's go. Always rushing me, man. <clears throat> I have to do my thing first. Welcome to Scatterbrain Podcast, episode 152. 152. For those that have not been following along and those that have, it's been a while. You can find Scatterbrain Podcast on Instagram at ScatterbrainPodSD, as in San Diego. You can find us on Twitter at ScatterbrainPod. And if you found us, you're listening to us now, please do so. Don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and share. What's up, man? We've been doing this virtually every week for, for over three years. Wow. I know. And it, it, why we haven't switched back, first of all, it's very convenient to do it on the fly. It also sounds better. I feel like it sounds better. Yeah, and it's probably it's probably good that we don't see each other's face while we're talking, you know. <laughs> you don't like it when I, I put my pirate background on and my little iPad. No, I love you know, I love that. I love that. Actually, that's cool. No, I mean when we started off, we did it in person, like you know. Um, we should try doing a couple more in person to see if we can get back into that a little bit. But now that I live further away, it's a little difficult. Yeah, and I think the audio quality is just better when it's like this too. You know, it does. It does seem to be better. Yeah, it does. So what's up, man? What have you been up to? How's this week going? How's it treating you? Not bad. It's been pretty good, actually. Uh, how about you? What have you been doing? No, nothing, man. Just plugging along. Uh, busy at work. And ready for spring break, trying to find a couple of activities, trying to dial in a couple things uh, later this year. I want to do something in May, go visit a buddy of mine from high school that I ran into actually at the Anthrax show. That was a Whoa. kind of a random thing. And uh, that is random. Yeah. So I might, might do that at some point. Just got some, I know you'll be thrilled about this, but I just got some Metallica tickets for August. And uh, that's it. Yeah. Um, um, okay. Um, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. You don't know what to say because you don't a like little, Metallica. A little bit of a little bit in shock, you know. Actually, you know, when when I do happen to hear some of the old stuff, because I grew up with them, man. When I hear some of the old stuff from the first four albums, especially even the Black album, uh, Garage Days, even, you know, it 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 sounds great to me. It still sounds great to me. It's just like, oh fuck, I remember the feeling I had listening to this. Or when I hear a band like doing a cover of a Metallica song, I love it, dude. I love those songs. I really do. And that's it's not so much that I hate them. It's it's just I hate the I hate the songs that they've done since what I love. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's just not Metallica to me anymore. It's just they just completely one eighty'd on me. I don't know. I think younger listeners of metal and the podcast probably don't really understand because they see it as a continuum. Maybe the first thing they heard was something of you know of the newer kind of music that they put yeah, out. Probably black album. Maybe black or maybe even one of the newer ones, and they backtrack and they listen to the other ones. And go, oh, this all this is all pretty cool, you know. Even the load stuff maybe sounds good to them. I don't know, but when when you're in the moment and you're you're anticipating that new metallic album, and you end up with fucking load and then reload, making it even worse. It's like the disappointment was just epic, you know. Yeah. And then the and then the whole like Napster thing just really soured me the whole Yeah, I can see that. Deal, yeah. I felt that way as well, you know, but I guess they were were visionary in some way realizing that the whole streaming thing was going to really affect and change the landscape of the, of making money from it, you know. Not necessarily for them, but just generally speaking right nowadays someone has to put their stuff out and stream it and get I don't even know what it is, a thousand plays to get a penny or whatever it is. I don't know what it is, but not very much. Not very much. And you know what? They were right. I'll, I'll give this to, to Lars when he went and complained about that stuff to Congress or whatever he did. It's like, he was right. I mean, he was right. He was totally right. But rather than like 
trying to figure out a way to adapt and and continue to earn an income from the music, they tried to fight it. You know, they they like they became like stiff about it instead of trying to like figure out a way to move with the the times. You know what I mean? Or or to adapt to it. And uh, I think in a way it, it made it worse for uh, for themselves anyway. At least for their fan base, their loyal fan base. You know, people like me. Whatever your opinion of Metallica is, you cannot deny. I think that you know something like Master of Puppets is top tier. It's old school thrash metal. You know. Their place in not just not just metal history, but music history is huge. Yeah, it is. It is. You can say Kill 'em All, Kill 'em All was there. You know, Ride the Lightning is definitely there as well. But something about Master of Puppets, it's where they're where things just connected, you know, the musicianship, the production, sure. even. Yep. Just where it was at. It's just one of those, you know. But I felt really disappointed at the black album. I wasn't entirely disappointed with that. I, it's just those two songs, Unforgiving and Nothing Else Matters, just kind of made me go, what the fuck is this, you know? It's one thing to put one of those kind of songs at the end of the album or something, because they've done that before, like one, you know what I mean? They Or Fade to Black. They've done that before, but to to like to double up on that type of song and then and then the way it was kind of sounding a little more slick and, and radio sounding, it was like, it, was, it wasn't a bad album, but it was like, it was kind of, it foretold what was coming and it was totally true. Yeah. Well, the time that it came out was that, was it like 1990, 1991, something like that. And for me at that time, I just wanted it heavier and faster. So for them Same to here. kind of tone it down a little bit and I go back, I mean, we listened to some of it today, actually driving in the car and it's like, well, these are good songs. They're good songs. Oh, sure. But oh, sure. at the time when I was, like I said, I wanted it heavier and faster this wasn't quite cutting it for me. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, in the beginning, too, the first three albums, especially, Kill 'em All wasn't, that wasn't the album. I mean, I had it and I listened to it, but that wasn't like the album that made me go, well, these guys are so rad. Because that came out about the same time as Anthrax and, and Show No Mercy, you know? And at the time, man, I was, I was playing like Show No Mercy, like constantly. That was, of the three albums, that was the one that I played the most, you know? And then Anthrax, you know, Fistful of Metal, I listened to that a ton. And to me, Metallica was just kind of like the third, the third new band or whatever, you know, it, was, it wasn't really that great to me. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't like something that made me go, wow, you know, it was Ride the Lightning for me that that I was so addicted to. Every song in that album to me is just top tier, you know, and Master of Puppets was just kind of like the icing on the cake, you know, before Cliff Burton died. Yeah. Injustice, you know, gets it's a good album, too. It was one of it's actually one, you know, one of my favorites as well. Once you get past injustice, kind of the way, yeah. Once you get past the way that, that it's produced, you know, it's so like drum heavy. I, I kind of put that in the same league as a uh, black album, actually. Uh, I don't know, dude. They were, trying, they were trying to prove that the production sucks, and they were trying to prove like it's like they were trying to prove to other musicians that we're, we can be complicated, we can be like you know progressive and all this shit, and it just felt without Cliff. Me yes because exactly. they were doing it before with orion and, and other other tracks like that with cliff sure but it flowed though that's my point is it flowed that the you know now in hindsight listening to it now i haven't in a while but last time i heard injustice for all i loved it dude because i knew the songs but at the time it was just it was so much to learn and it was so so heavy with changes that it didn't flow and it was like i, I would say like well blackened was on that album right yeah, that was that was a great ass track, dude. Fuck yeah, that but that was a song that made me go, fuck yeah, this is rad. You know, this is it's Metallica still, you know. But then it all kind of it all went this like super progressive way where all these changes, all these different and it and it took a while to really kind of learn the songs and it got frustrating, you know. But like I said, in hindsight, listening to it in the last couple of years, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I thought it was a great album. But you can't hear any fucking bass. The 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 snare drum sounds totally tinny and shitty, you know. It's like, yeah, you know, production yeah, just is big drum over the top. Yeah, and it just doesn't sound that good as far as the production is concerned. But you know, but then you go in, then you go back to like Master Puppets, even Ride the Lightning, and the production is fucking rad. Yeah, how did they how did they digress or degress? You know, it's weird. Well, you can listen to an album from a band and compare it to something that's even just the next one after. Um, and oftentimes, where they're going with it, you know, it's been a couple years, so they're going with the technology has, has changed. But then sometimes where they're going with it is just completely different. You can hear that 
in a lot of albums and a lot of bands, including one of the ones from our album swap today. Oh, nice. Yes. Uh, let's get into that next, shall we? Okay. So we've done this before. We did it with, uh, what was it? Metal Church and... Uh, Wargasm. Wargasm. Yep. And today we're doing the same thing. I think it was actually kind of fun. Uh, we're swapping some albums. We Last week we suggested an album to each other that were ones that really, I don't know if they were, I don't want to say influential necessarily, but some of the ones that we really enjoyed growing up in an early day. They must be influential. I guess you're right. We grew up with them. Yeah, we grew up with yeah. them. So, yeah. so you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Why don't you why don't you why don't you go first? I want to hear what you say. Okay, so we're gonna go with the album you suggested. Yes. Still one of my favorites. Okay, last week you suggested that I listen to A History of a Time to Come by Sabat. The album came out in 1988. And they're thrash metal, right? From England. Correct. Do you want to talk about them at all? Or you want me to just kind of talk about the album or I mean, they've got Andy Sneap, who is in the metal world, huge when it comes to production. Anybody who's into metal or, or, or people who are in bands out there, you may have been even met him and, and had a hand. He had a hand in your album or something. You know, he's everywhere. He's very popular. He's very sought after, and he's really good at his job. But he was the lead guitarist for Sabat for those uh, three albums. They were active, like mid to early eighties. I'm sorry, mid mid eighties to like the early nineties. But then they came back for a short while, right after a lengthy hiatus. Just for shows. That's it? They didn't release anything after that? No, no. I think they came back in like 2007 or something and did some like, you know, benefits and things like that with the original members. Played all the old songs and nothing from the, the third album, obviously. But um, yeah, I don't think they, no, they didn't put out anything new. No, they and they remastered everything from the first two albums and re-released those things. I see. Now... This kind of follows the typical thrash formula in terms of like a lineup where you've got, you know, a drummer, a couple guitarists, vocalist and bassist. I feel like that's a very common configuration. It is cool. I think my favorite is the three piece. We've talked about it before. But when you have two guitarists, you can kind of get. I don't know what the word is, more complexity and you get the leads going and stuff and the rhythms that are kind of riding underneath. And I really like that. Let's do what I do like about these guys. Now there's now there's only Andy Sneap on the first album. Just him? Yeah. The second guitar player came in for the for um uh Dreamweaver, the second album. So then they're they're multi-tracking then when they did the yeah, album? They're, they're, yeah, they're multi-tracking, yep, exactly. So when how do you feel before I get into this album? How do you feel when that happens, right? I mean, you listen to like a Pantera and you hear you know, vulgar display of power, and that has the, the one guitar. But some, some of the oh. other stuff, they multi-track, you know, and have other guitars. You're right. And then you hear it live, and there, there's that dropout because that guitar isn't there anymore. Right. That's why if you're going to do that, if you are a true three-piece or, you know, a singer doesn't play an instrument, I, I say record it like that, like you're going to sound live. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to drop out. Like, yeah, totally. I agree. But um, I, the, the intent was, about, was to get a second guitar player, so it doesn't really matter. So this is this is how you would have probably heard them anyways then if you saw them live once they got going and they added another guitar player. Correct. I believe they got the other guy um for the tour for the for the history of time to come but he on the recording he's the only guitar player. So this album History of a Time to Come is their first full length. They released a few demos, uh did it in, in a single and then this was their first album and it looks like they did just three full full lengths. Yeah, with the with the the actual the the I'll call him the real singer was the singer on the first two albums, and he I think he wanted to do a little bit more kind of kind of do a little bit more like um like in, not instrumental but more like Celtic or Gothic sort of sounding stuff mixed in because on the second album they kind of threw in some really cool like like really creepy gothic sort of sounding stuff. And he wanted to kind of progress a little bit more with like violins and cellos and shit like that. And I think the rest of the band kind of like fought back against that. And it, there wasn't hard feelings, but Martin Birch just dropped out as a singer. The third album, they got a new singer and a new guitar player and the bass player left for 
um, creative differences, which means he didn't like the new shit is what it was. And so right. he bailed out. Yeah, he's like, this sucks. Yeah, and it did. It really did. Well, this album is pretty good. Uh, I've heard this hanging out with you before, Ian. I think uh, the Dreamweaver, I think that's the one I've heard more. You seem to play that one quite a bit. <laughs> so when you when you suggested this, actually, I was when you said Sabat, I was surprised you didn't suggest Dreamweaver. Um, yeah, because I still play that all the fucking time, and I know you've heard that a bunch just through me. You know, this one's a little this one's a little bit more obscure. Um, it's a little bit as an album, you know, as uh, on a whole, it's a little bit more disjointed because Dreamweaver is kind of a concept. Well, no, it is a concept album, and that's one thing that I've never brought up in the past when we've talked about concept albums. Is like the best concept album. What are the good ones? You know, and you got all these different ones. And this goes back to that album we did um, by that Brazilian band in the first year when we realized it was like an alien concept oh, album. Yes. Uh, not what was the name of that band? Not Destructor. Um, something with the D though. Yeah, that album is so good too. And we're trying to come up with all these different. You know, I even came up with like Operation Mind Crime and what like Tommy or something from the Who. I mean, there's a bunch of them, right? But I never, I never thought to bring up my favorite album of all time, which is Dreamweaver. That's a total concept album. And I think it's the best one. This one's more disjointed. Uh, the production's not quite as good. But, you know, for a band just starting out, I fucking love this album. Oh, it's funny. So you made two comments that I, that I wanted to make. One is the production, which to me, even factoring that in that it was 1988, I don't think the production was so good. When you compare it to what's what was being done at that time and released at that time, did you listen to the Spotify one? Yes, I did the remastered okay, so, one. Yeah, the, so you're listening to the remastered one. You should hear the one that I have on tape. <laughs> so I can hear the hiss in the background, or what? It's just it's it's even more like the levels are off. So they he tried Andy Sneap went through and and went through all those songs and tried to even everything out and make it sound better. So you're hearing the what's supposed to sound better version. <laughs> well and disjointed is another way to put it i feel like this didn't really flow and it made made it i don't know kind of hard to listen to oh but that's the thing about sabato they are replayable they they're as a steep learning curve but once you get to know the songs and you and all of a sudden it clicks it's amazing dude it's it's one of these albums and that, that's going to that's going to come up with the album that you suggested as well for me, because I feel the same way about suffocation. Interesting. I mean, there's some good, good thrash riffs on here, but I think uh, it, to me, it became, it's clear why I never really got into Sabat. I mean, they've been around forever, but just the vocals, just a fucking rad. Not my thing. I see why you like him. I mean, even even the tone of the guitar and everything. This is this is what uh, you like. This is you screechy fucking. And then the guys all just fucking. I love it, dude. Yes, this is totally me. I love this man. This is one of my favorite bands still. But when you, to me, I think I have to look at it when I get it's, it's hard to not look at it and compare it to what else was coming out at the time. You know, even not just in the thrash scene, but let's say particularly the thrash scene. You had, you know, South of Heaven. It's a pretty damn good one. Anthrax, you know, State of Euphoria wasn't isn't their top one, but that was kind of what I was into. The Megadeth, same thing. So far, so good. So what came out that same year? Not good production. But uh, Testament and New Order came out that year. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Violence, even the Eternal Nightmare. Eternal Nightmare, yeah, that's right. You know, nuclear Assault had a good year. album. Yeah, oh fuck yeah, dude. Uh, survive, survive, Nuclear Assault. Yeah, yep. idiot. Yeah. Yep. And then you had like, then you get into the death metal, Bolt Thrower, and let uh, death, dude. death with leprosy. I mean, dude, that's. Dude. So when I when I look at it, I hear it like to me, this sounded like early metal, early like 82, 83, even just in the production, but just the musicianship and everything. Oh, I get I, it. Ooh, you know, I just I disagree. I, I think these guys were way ahead of their time. Well, that's why you liked it and suggested it. Perception. And <laughs> well, and like you said, it doesn't necessarily like flow. Um, it's it's yeah. not it's not real hook laden. It's change after change after change. And that fucking dude screaming his guts out. And they put a lot of time into writing these songs. You can tell just from listening to it. I mean, the, the bass is all over the place. The drums have to follow the guitars perfectly or it's not going to sound good. 
So really, there's no flow to the drums. The drums are sticking primarily to following what Andy Sneap has written on guitar. And it's so obvious. But I'm used to it, and I've listened to it so many times, and I love it. I love it to death. Not near as good as the next album, Dreamweaver. But that's why I wanted to throw it out and see what you said. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't hate this album. I don't love it, but it's good. And there are some really good tracks on here. I really liked A Cautionary Tale, track two. Mm-hmm. I liked what they, I liked how they were, the only way I could describe it is like the vocals had like this swirly kind of effect on it or something. I don't know. It sounded really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also like track four, Behind the Crooked Cross. <laughs> Behind the Crooked Cross. Uh, I like Church Church Bazaar. Church Bazaar is probably one of my favorite ones. Hmm. But good. Good overall. I mean, again, this is, I could see as I was going through and I listened to it, dude. I gave it a fair shake. I'm not saying I don't like it or that it wasn't fun to listen to. But, you know, I I didn't get into Sabat for a reason, I guess. I, I love it when bands too put little like samples or like intros and stuff under their songs. You know, like the way you can hear at the end of that one song that like almost like the devil laughing is all <laughs> and then the album fades out and I'm like, oh, that was badass, dude. And, you know, live, the thing is live, you have to reproduce it. And the things I saw them live playing in the in the 90s, early 90s, they did that, you know, and they played great. They sounded perfect live. I don't know that I gave the album that you picked quite the fair shake you gave Sabat, though. I had a problem with this album. Okay, so first of all, we're talking about Suffocation's Effigy of the Forgotten. And you've just heard Ian lose his metal card. No, and I was going to say, because I know people are going to be like... Anybody who's listened to this album and grew up with it because it's 32 years old now, they probably grew up with it and they love it and and they know it and they hear it and they think it's great and all this kind of stuff. I didn't grow up with this album. So I tried to just I tried to just know this from this from the get go from the beginning. And I'm just going to say the vocals are the same every fucking song, dude. And I would get three songs in and I'd be like bored. I'm like, this isn't changing. This is all the same. Now, just like you said you couldn't really get into the Sabbat thing or it didn't really flow. You know, it didn't really catch your interest. It's the same thing with this. I know if I give this a chance and and after I listen to it a bunch of times and know the music and come back to it, it's going to be awesome. I can just tell it's a steep learning curve, dude. This album obviously has a steep learning curve. Well, yeah. I mean, we talked about it the last episode we did this where when you grow up with something, you have a certain, place for it nostalgia you can call it it can be anything like that but you know i remember when i first heard this album it was on a uh you liked it did i was my mind was blown wow my mind was absolutely blown when i heard this album it was so heavy oh it's definitely heavy it's definitely heavy yeah the drums were insane the guitars are insane sure at the time you're right i mean you go back and at the time you go back and listen to this and Definitely the vocals at that time were of this album were kind of typical of that time, you know, and a lot of those guys did that and still do it. But, you know, not, it came out in 1981. Not everyone was doing it and not yeah. everyone was doing it as well. I think. If someone if someone put this album on and said, because I don't really know this album, I, I know I've heard it before, but it never sunk in. So I wouldn't be able to like recognize it if someone put it on. If someone put it on and said, what band is this? My immediate my immediate response would have been um, Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, I mean that would make sense. Yeah, or um, no, it's not Cannibal Corpse. Take another guess, and then I'd be like, um, well, I know Bolt Thrower kind of sounds like Bolt Thrower, but Bolt Thrower is kind of catchy to me. This isn't really super catchy. I don't know. It's Cannibal Corpse. I don't know. It just sounded like that that kind of vocals through the whole thing. It's kind of like the whole. It's kind of like the whole like Six Feet Under thing. Every song, it's the exact same, you know what I mean? And and there's no deviation. And I actually read the lyrics to this album as it was going. And the way he was singing the lyrics was all like, didn't make any sense. There's no flow to it. He would sing the lines of the songs in different spots throughout the song. Like, so it wasn't like flowing through. And I'm just, just like, what what is he doing here? He could have just flowed right through with that line, you know? And he, and he didn't. And he stops. And then he like bark out a couple words. And it just kind of made it like, I, I don't know. It just, it, but like I said, I'm gonna continue to listen to this just because everybody I know seems to think this is such a great fucking album. 
I mean, even the guys from like cryptic mutation were telling me, you know, you gotta fucking listen. To, you gotta start getting into suffocation because they're so fucking good, you know. And they're just adamant that, um, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why don't? Why haven't you been into suffocation for thirty years now? You know. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm gonna give it a chance. I'm gonna keep listening. I've heard some of the albums after that are much better though. Yeah, there's a lot of good music from these guys. I think this one, to me, I just it hit really hard with me because and and held on because I remember hearing it the first time. I remember hearing it and just being blown away by it. The cover art's badass, uh, just heavy as hell. I don't listen to lyrics, so any of the things not flowing right or whatever, I have no idea. I just I just hear it. But man, anyone that's seen these guys live and hears these songs live, it's unreal dude heavy as hell it doesn't get much heavier i'll agree yeah i'll agree with that think about the time it came out though what 91 right yeah 91 i mean that's when you had all these things going on cannibal corpse was doing what came out at that time eating back to life maybe i think was the one that came out maybe that came out a little before this at that time the pinnacle of metal for me the shit the best thing there was was sepultura arise that came out that year, and I listened to it constantly. And this didn't hold a candle to that. I, I could see that how you would think that. And I mean, admittedly, the production on this one is a little muddy. Mm-hmm. But man, I don't know. There's a. I think that there's a reason why certain albums from or certain bands have a certain place in whatever their what's the word? Not the lore, but the to me, there's no, yeah, I know what you mean. But to me, this there's nothing death metal about this. This is pure to the core. I mean, uh, uh, thrash metal. There's nothing thrash metal about this. Scratch that part. This is just pure to the core death metal. There's nothing thrashy about this. This is like yeah, not at all, not at all, dude. And and think of my choice in music. I was listening to at that time. Sepultura Arise was the shit. I was listening to Coroner, Mental Vortex. You know, thrash metal. You know, and then I would hear something like Cannibal Corpse or like this or something. I mean, Obituary even was, I was still listening to Obituary because the rest of the band loved them. But even they were a little bit too like, rrr, rrr, rrr. but now, you know, going back, it's like, what the fuck was I thinking? Obituary is so fucking awesome, right? But this was a little bit too much of, the, it was too much like a joke kind of to me. Now, the rest of my band loved it, thought it was amazing. Morbid Angel, fucking Suffocation, all that shit. You know, Cannibal Corpse. I heard the crap out of all these bands because their bass players, especially just, loved that shit morbid angel was his favorite band slayer and metallica were his other two favorite bands you know what i mean so it was like never really reached into this level of death metal for me at that time i it doesn't surprise me you know right this was that same time that i was just wanted it heavier you know didn't have to be right. necessarily faster anymore when i heard this i mean this you know you have a lot of like the double bass cranking along and stuff like that. But, you know, these songs aren't necessarily super fast. A lot of them, you know? Sure. But anyone that listens to anything heavy now, even if they're not familiar with Suffocation, can thank Suffocation. All these oh, you know, slam bands and shit that do these like heavy breakdowns and stuff. That's where this comes from. Yep. And, you know, I did my, I did my research on these guys. Apparently he was of the very first um, metal singers to actually sing this way so we're, we're talking frank mullen right he was one of yeah. the founding members of suffocation yeah he, he pre, yeah he predates even cannibal corpse all those guys he was like the the template for that <laughs> kind of thing i didn't know that yeah so you know yeah i guess i did lose my metal card in some respects i don't know why i didn't really listen to these guys you know all that much probably because I, i'm playing in a band too I didn't want to play that. You know, I don't want to play this kind of music. I didn't sing like this. And I really liked listening to the other stuff, you know, the, the actual thrash metal of the world, the overkill sepulturas, that kind of stuff, you know? So it, it wasn't really in my wheelhouse anyway. Well, Hey, you know what? It's okay. I mean, I, I spent, I spent a week with Sabat and it's not <laughs> my wheelhouse necessarily. I mean, I like thrash, but this is like a little, to me, sounds like a little older earlier thrash and just different different for me you know at that time in 88 when the sabat album came out i was looking for heavier and faster and when the suffocation came out 91 heavier and faster <laughs> dude see to me see to me sabat is heavier than suffocation 
Sabat's way heavier than suffocation. Sabat is just what, ripping dude, it. Dude, what are you talking yes, about? Yes, no, it is. <laughs> it is. If you're going for... Or you're going for fucking... It depends on what your idea of heavy is. My idea of heavy is faster than shit, fucking screeching, screaming, fucking out of control. These guys aren't just screaming, screaming, screeching out of control. This is fucking low fucking droning kind of shit. Great musicianship, though. Dude, there are some really fucking killer uh, drum parts on this album. Oh, yeah. What was that? The original drummer? I don't I want to say it was like Mike Smith or something. He came back. For a while. He's not there now. Oh, he's not. Oh, sorry. No, no. They got this other guy. Uh, What's his name? Eric. No, I don't remember. I don't remember. Eric Moratti. Yeah. He, He picked up with them. So who so who are the original members of this band now? Because they're still going, right? Yeah, actually there we go back to when does a band become a different band? The singer, the singer's still there. The singer retired. So in 2016 or 2017, Frank Mullen actually did his farewell tour. That was actually the first time I saw them. I didn't think I was gonna necessarily see get to see them again because I wasn't sure it was happening. Oh, okay. So that's it. I think it was Frank Mullen and the original drummer that started Suffocation. And then shortly after that, Terrence Hobbs, one of the guitar players, came in. So he's all but original. I think Suffocation formed in like 88 and he jumped on in 1990. Before their first album. Yes. Okay, so so here's a distinction. If you haven't put out an album yet, it doesn't matter whether you're the quote unquote original guitar players or whatever. It starts at the first album. Okay. That's what that's why I think Exodus still has, I mean, that's why Gary Holt is still the original member. Because he was on the first album. He's been on every fucking album. So it's the same thing, right? Yeah, I guess so. So yeah, I guess Terrence Hobbs is the only only original guy. Guitar player? Yep. So the, the drummer is gone, obviously, and the singer is gone. It's yep. just the guitar player. Hmm. Yeah, their their bass player, Derek, he joined up in like 2004. He's been around for quite a while. And that dude, dude, that dude's a monster. See, I haven't heard I haven't heard anything with that guy. So I got to listen to the newer stuff of theirs is what I have to do. And then I could probably appreciate it more. Maybe. I have to put it in context, you know. Sure. Sometimes you just have to look at the time it came out, you know, and then the time that came out when you were getting bands like, I mean, even Cannibal Corpse, those guys. No, I don't want to say quickly, but eventually and not in fairly short order, got rid of some of the guys that just couldn't keep up. You know, the music <laughs> kept getting <laughs> better and better and better. Right. And so at the time, you know, when you look at Eaten Back to Life, I think that came out in 1990. Yeah, that was what people were doing. And I mean, it sounded heavy and it was cool and it was kind of a new thing. And but then, you know, they kept everyone wanted to bring it up and bring the level up. And you look at you can look at that today. I mean, the 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 thrash that's coming out now, which I love, all the new bands that are a resurgence of thrash, they're way better than any of these other guys that from the, yeah. the thrash albums that we listen to and that are like what you would put up on the the hall of fame of of thrash, if you will. That's because they're better than those guys were at that time. You know what I mean? That's because they've absorbed. They have so much to go with. They have so much information out there they can just absorb get little bits and pieces of all that music all those different styles and they could love it all and then incorporate that into their music and then next thing you know they're just coming up with these fucking radical bitch and new fucking albums dude that's just all over the place i saw a thing on youtube and this one person was it was the the, the clickbait part of it was in why does why does music suck today right and i'm like i didn't watch it or anything but i'm thinking well, because you don't listen to thrash metal or, or black metal or death metal, because all of that shit is way fucking better and and just so much out there. And you obviously are thinking about like popular music. Well, popular music, you don't have like radio, you don't sell albums or singles like they used to sell singles, right? That shit doesn't exist anymore. So of course, someone's going to think, oh, it's, what does it suck today? It's like, well, because maybe you don't listen to the radio. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you don't have Spotify. Maybe you're not paying attention. But if you're into metal, dude, it's prevalent. It's everywhere. It's awesome. Yeah. And there's, you know, I think metal is we're going to gravitate to that and saying that that's getting better because that's what we listen to. But I mean, when I went to the mountains a few weeks ago, I was in the car for a long time with my buddy. 
And you know, he's been he's he's seen for someone who doesn't really listen to Slayer, he's probably seen Slayer five, six, seven times. It's pretty good. He used to always drag him to shows whenever he was around. And but hearing some of the stuff that he listens to, which is not metal, not anything like that. Like I found myself going, oh, these guys are pretty good too. I mean, the musicianship, you know, people there's some really good musicians out there. But there's a ton of good metal coming out. <laughs> And it's a genre that's that's by definition pushing the envelope. Yep. Well, let, we're getting along with the truth. Let's get to this uh, fucking. Let's talk about some trash. Yeah, man. I we almost got compelled to the power of metal once again, but we shouldn't do that. This has been a this has been a topic we wanted to talk. I wanted to talk about for a little while. Let's talk about trash, plastic, Pacific gyre, fucking. Ugh. Dude, this is depressing, kind of. Yeah, so we're going to talk about plastic today, and what I kind of wanted to get into was plastic, the great Pacific garbage patch, which is mostly made of plastic, and then kind of like the effect of all that in the high use of plastic is the microplastics in the environment and as a result inside our bodies. The word plastic, you want to get technical, is anything that's synthetic or semi-synthetic that can be molded or extruded into any number of things. It could be thin stuff like a plastic bag. It can be snowboard bindings, you know, and anything in between pieces of cars, anything like that. Do you know about how long plastic's been around? Not that long. Relatively speaking, no. It was uh, first produced by a Belgian chemist named Leo Bakeland in 1907. Mm Mm-hmm. What I thought was interesting about this, as I started reading a little bit about plastic, was I think most people know that it's generally speaking. I mean, nowadays you have, you know, plastic from things like corn, corn husks or whatever. But for a long time and primarily plastic is derived from fossil fuels, chemicals based off of gas or petroleum, other types of things. Now. What's interesting about this is that as this technology for plastic developed, all these different business partnerships began to form between this guy's company. I think it was called Bake. Bake. I forget what it was. Bakelite. Yeah, Bakelite. That's it. Yeah. And he started making all these different deals, essentially, with companies like Dow Chemicals, ExxonMobil, which were looking for a, a way of getting rid of their waste. The byproducts from them producing fuel. Yeah. What I thought was also interesting is that in a very, very short time, I mean, relatively speaking, 1907, looking at like, a, what, 125 years or so, something like that, 126 years. Not that long. Well, in 1839, though, there was a German dude who actually discovered polystyrene. So he was actually the first to actually, like, see something that we would call plastic today so it's actually almost 200 years ago but it wasn't produced it hadn't been produced yet yeah yeah that was by this other guy leo bakeland yeah right now i think it's just so interesting that it took took place so quick from there being no plastic to it being everywhere everywhere yeah do you consider like the uh like rubber like during world war ii um, getting getting a hold of those rubber plantations to make tires for all of these vehicles during the war was really important. A Japanese, that was part of the reason for them trying to take over all of Asia was to get the the, the oil and and to get the uh, the rubber, you know. And um, the United States didn't want to go that route, and they created the synthetic rubber. You know, uh, vulcanization of of rubber was first actually introduced, I think, in the mid eighteen hundreds. By Thomas Hancock and uh, Thomas or Charles Goodyear in the United States about the same year. There's that's where Goodyear comes from, right? So rubber and plastics kind of go hand in hand as far as like the development, production, everything, and it all kind of kind of mixes together, flows together as to what we use today. Rubber and plastic is fucking everywhere. Yeah. Now the discovery of kind of one of the most abundant plastics was an accident. It was. Yeah, I read that uh, I guess they were doing some experiments to combine ethylene and bezel, benzaldehyde mm-hmm. with pressure and heat. 
uh, I guess some of their seals broke ox or failed oxygen got into it and then resulted in a substance that was essentially ethylene polymer, which is now the most hmm. abundant plastic in the world. What is what? What's it called? Ethylene, like ethylene polymer, polyethylene, I guess would be what you would call it. Okay. And it's everywhere. But of course, you know, it's cheap, flexible, you know, pretty strong, resistant to heat. So you're going to find it in many places where those types of properties, flexibility and strength would be useful. But it's everywhere. I mean, everything yeah. from, you know, surgical screws, you got nylon, it goes in clothes. I mean, everything. It's everywhere. Oh, there's all different kinds too. Uh, 1912, Jacques Brandenburger developed a method for producing cellophane, got a patent for that. Then you jump forward like 14 years and uh, the BF Goodrich company develops a method to plasticize PVC, dude. You know, like PVC pipes? They blended it with various additives to make that. A couple years later, neoprene was produced by DuPont. Then you got polystyrene by BASF, B-A-S-F. RCA introduces uh, their vinyl-based Victrolac compound for records. So that's where the vinyl records come from. Wow. And they have they have twice the groove density of shellac records with good sound quality. So that's, you know, it goes even into records and vinyl sales and stuff. 1933, practical poly, polyethylene synth synthesis. Uh, Eric Fawcett, Reginald Gimson at the Imperial Chemical Industries uh, in England. And then 1935, nylon. First time nylon shows up is in 1935. It just it just keeps progressing. Yeah. And yeah, gets get dumped into our oceans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could see why it would be so useful. I mean, yeah. it is really, really useful. But just, it doesn't break down very easy. And you get into the production of it and the disposal and it becomes, you could see why it becomes a problem. Sure. You have it leaching depending on the plastic and its properties. You can have it leaching into groundwater or into food. You know, the last thing you want to do is, is have your, have, you know, a little case of water bottles in your, in the trunk of your car and over the summer warming up and getting, you know, getting that, uh, those plasticides into the water leaching out. You know, like polyester, like with clothes, polyester clothes and whatnot. I thought that had been around a long time, dude. Polyester wasn't first produced till 1950. Did you know that? You know, like polyester blend clothes? Yeah. I mean, I would have guessed probably around that time, just because that's sort of around the time that nylons, ladies started wearing nylons, right? That was, yeah, that was about 1940, I think, beginning of World War II, because the United States needed to produce something for women that didn't have to rely on like silk or, you know, anything that came from from asia you know what i mean yeah but it just kind of like happened that way 10 years later was was it just seems weird to me i thought it was much older than that strange and of course dupont it was dupont of course of course dupont they're everywhere all these companies are still around doing their thing i mean you look at it now and one of the i don't want to say new but one of the things that's become pretty common with a lot of with a lot of people redoing their homes is the uh the vinyl planks, they call them luxury vinyl planks. So it's basically planks of uh, essentially linoleum, but obviously much different than the kind that you used to roll out on a roll and glue to your floor. Different now. But yeah. I mean, they're using it even in places we walk on. They're using it for surgical pieces, you know, screws and things like that. It's everywhere. You know, like plastic bottles that we use for water and everything? That shit wasn't even introduced to the public or mass produced till the 1960s. Before that, it was all glass. So now we've got all these plastic bottles everywhere. Well, like I said, it comes comes with a cost. You know, the improper disposal of it can have some catastrophic effects to the environment and ultimately to the food supply. You're not so you're not only creating these compounds and byproducts during the production of these compounds, but then they don't tend to break down very easily and you're left yep. with, you know, something that can't be reused easily. I don't know if you remember, I remember being a kid and they would have the glass soda bottles and you could, they could reuse yeah. them very easily. Yeah. You take, you take, you take them in, they would steam them and then reuse them. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't really do that with plastic. And in fact, a lot of the times you can't because then after that first initial use, it's going to 
Yeah, it's not like you can it's not like you can melt them all down and make more plastic bottles, which is strange. Yeah, well, there are things that they can do, but I think it's difficult. Do you want to hear something weird, dude? Polyester in the 1980s, polyester was first used in film to replace cellulose acetate for photographic film and uh, and computer tapes. Polyester, dude. Now weird. Yeah, that is weird, actually. I never knew that till I was looking into this shit. And in 1988, Australia introduced um, their banknotes were made of a polymer, basically plastic, plastic banknotes. Yeah. Canadian money has that, too. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Little clear panels that have, you know, a president or whatever in there. And, you know, just little little panels of the plastic in the paper. It's kind of interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and you know, like I know that like American money is most people. Well, I don't know if most people, but a lot of people think it's just paper. It's actually cotton. Yep. Yeah. You, if you look at it closely, you'll see red and blue fibers in the paper. Yeah, and it's been the same company who has made that shit since the beginning. Same company on the East Coast has made all of the banknotes for America since the beginning, dude. They have they have the uh, what do you call it when something is um no one it's a uh, um. What is the word when you're not when it's, uh, you know, when no one can touch it. You can't like like Coke doesn't have to put the ingredients on the bottle because it is. Oh, yeah. It's like a proprietary form. Proprietary. Proprietary. Yep. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Same thing. So only they know that thing. They, they only they know the mixture and how to put those little like strands of red and green, everything. Pretty trippy. Same shit as Levi's are made of. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So with it being everywhere, I mean, it's no, I mean, you look around, right? I mean, all you got to do is get off of the freeway somewhere and be sitting on an off ramp waiting at the light and you'll see plastic on the side of the road. You know, you see plastic everywhere that you purchase food, right? I mean, you have a lot of plastic in food storage packages and things like that. It's no wonder it finds itself into the environment. You have people littering or people even that think they're doing a good job by recycling but then it doesn't ever make it there. Nope. That's why that's why when I see people buying those big like 12 or 24 pack things at the store of like plastic bottles of water, I just I can't help but shake my head. I just like I don't want to judge people, but it's like they don't know, they don't understand. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Get like an Arrowhead water bottle like delivered to your house and have that refilled over and over or get a Brita fucking, you know, one of the things with a filter in your house so you can get your like filtered water or something. But don't buy those fucking bottles, man. Just don't buy plastic bottles. It's pretty basic. I mean, it has its purpose, right? You're going camping. You're going sure. like that. But yeah, to have sure. that be your main, main source. Now, you know, I get my water like delivered in bottles, but then that, and so they're reusing the plastic there, but then that requires them driving these trucks Sure. There's no golden solution. You know what I mean? Anything that requires energy is going to have some sort of waste, you know, so there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. All you can do is try to minimize the impact. Yeah. Or just drink less water. <laughs> I'm kidding. You can drink beer. Those are glass bottles. True. Very true. Or just buy kegs, kegs of beer. Just live <laughs> off of that. That's true. There you go. Metal's metal, you know. You're not gonna. It's not gonna go into the gyre. Let's talk about this fucking gyre thing, dude. Gyre, the Pacific gyre, the plastic patch. Oh yes, the the Pacific trash patch, Great Pacific garbage patch. It's called a Pacific gyre. That's the official name for it. Or, or yeah, trash patch. Trash patch works. Yeah, exactly. That's what I read. It was called, but yeah, you probably have the more technical term. Now this, we'll call it garbage patch is i mean it's something what the size of like texas or something right how big is yeah. this thing? yes it's the size of texas 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 it's horrible also called the trash vortex or the north pacific garbage patch like you said and uh, it's a gyre of marine debris particles uh in central north pacific ocean located 135 degrees west 155 degrees west 35 degrees north and 42 degrees north. The collection of plastic and floating trash um, originates from the Pacific Rim. So that would be, you know, Asia, North America, South America. And it just kind of all ends up in the middle of the friggin' ocean. And it's friggin' huge, dude. Yeah. 
something I read says rough, roughly 79,000 metric tons of plastic are floating. Oh, God. Yeah, approximately 1.8 trillion pieces of trash. Trillion. And plastic makes up 99.9% .9 of this debris. And most of it is fingernail-sized or smaller. Yeah, and in fact, they're finding stuff much, much smaller than that as it works its way down and gets ground up and eventually sinks its way to the bottom and... I mean, who knows what this is now before that unfortunately a lot of times it affects the wildlife directly by them eating it that's right you have them eating plastic bags and things like that because they think it's a, a jellyfish uh, one thing that i remember me. being told as a kid is if you're going to have those you know those little uh like the plastic ringlets that the six packs of soda would come in to cut they those. still sell those dude they still sell those and the times i've come across them i cut them up Yes, that was something that I was always told to do as well, that in case it didn't end up where it needed to, at least you'd know that like a dolphin or something wouldn't get its nose stuck in there and be trapped in it, you know? Or get strangled, yeah. Yeah, cut them up. So, I mean, looking at this looking at this information about all this trash, I mean, its impacts are huge. Thousands of birds, sea turtles, seals, and other mammals are killed each year. After Everything. they either ingest it thinking it's something else or they get tangled in it, right? I mean, would you consider the nets as ultimately be I mean, those those things are nylon, right? That's ultimately some other sort of plastic killing the wildlife. Yeah. Six hundred and twenty thousand square miles is this thing, dude. Isn't that insane? That's unreal. That's unreal. Well, it's unreal in many ways. First of all, you don't quite realize how large the ocean is. That there could be something that's a patch of trash the size of Texas in the middle of nowhere. And if you and if you were an alien coming towards Earth, coming toward the Pacific, you would think the entire planet was water because all you would see is water. That whole half of the planet, like when you look at a map, like a flat map, it doesn't really sink in that half of the planet on one side, there is no land. I mean, you have like little islands here and there, but there is no land. And if you were to look at that, you would see right in the middle would be this huge Texas-sized chunk of garbage floating around. That sucks, dude. There's one in the Atlantic, too. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's trash everywhere. And if you look at some of the photos, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah, it's just a big swirling mass of shit. So what do we do about it? Well, there have been... A number of efforts. I mean, there's a company uh, that was called the Ocean, I think the Ocean Cleanup. And it was started off by some teenage kid. I forget the name of, the, of this person, actually. But several years ago, he developed this technology, essentially, for going around and scraping up the trash. Uh, it was founded in, the Ocean Cleanup was founded in 2013 by Dutch inventor Boyan Slat at the age of 18. And I think it was a project initially that he did for school or something, some con I don't know, some contest or something. I could be wrong about that. But he's, you know, built these robots and things and these machines to not robots but like automated systems to go around and scoop up a bunch of this crap. But I think with varying degrees of, of success, the first mission or two failed. I'm not quite exactly sure about how the progress has been now. But even that, man, even that comes at a, at a, at a price, right? You have large vehicles that are consuming energy. I'm sure they have petroleum fuel, right? I'm sure things get, you know, living animals get stuck in these nets and things that they're using to collect so what do you do? I don't know, because it apparently grows tenfold per decade since the 1940s. So every 10 years, it grows tenfold. So you can fight it, fight it, fight it, fight it, fight it. And there's, there's nothing you can really, I mean, and then what do you do if you collect it all? Say you could actually like some sort of net or some sort of scooper that could actually collect all of these microscopic fingernail sized and smaller down to microscopic pieces of garbage 
right? Plastic and stuff. Everything from lighters to pieces of cell phones, toothbrushes, everything, dude. But say you could gather it all. Where do you put it all? And then if you decide, okay, well, we're going to store it right here, then what do you do to it permanently? I say put it in one of Elon Musk's rockets and just blast it into space. You know, all joking aside, that probably is one of the least impactful things, right? Because chances are you're going to launch this out there and chances are it's going to just keep going forever, essentially forever, right? If you assume that the damage is done, there's going to be damage somewhere. Maybe not, though, because the chances of it actually running into anything, if you shoot it out there, is like almost nil. Well, that's what I mean. So, that's yeah, what I mean. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it might be the least of the evils, for lack of a better term, because you, you don't want to take it here and collect it and then bury it. That doesn't help. That just no, creates a different problem. Launch it into the sun. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That'd be the less of all the evils. Because at least some alien planet 100,000 or million years or billion years from now doesn't get some rocket landing on their planet with all this fucking garbage. In it. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> or if that happened here? You're out. You're out hanging out in the backyard and uh, <laughs> gigantic thing clumps in front of you. It <laughs> starts burning up in the atmosphere and you're like, what's that smell? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, I God. guess that's what would really happen. Oh, but yeah, I mean, I guess shooting it to the sun, that would probably be. Trademark Scatterbrain Podcast 2023. That's our new endeavor. (laughs) We're not going to colonize Mars. We may go there and land there, but we're not going to colonize it. Use up all of his rockets to do this. Collect all the trash from both of the both of the huge patches. Dude, that would take so long, and it's just accumulating so fast. I I don't think you could ever get on top of it. And I don't think so either. Like I said, this other the the office the ocean cleanup project has made some, you know, improvements or some successes in their technology, but I don't believe that it's been hyper successful. You know what I mean? Sure. And I don't know that you can really do anything. I mean, you have this stuff now, like you said, it's down into small pieces. It it eventually works its way out into the food source. I mean, you find microplastics mm. and, and fish Yuck. and shellfish. Um, I mean, it's going to end up in all kinds of you know marine mammals and everything like that people are con- people are consuming it the fish and everything so they're they're consuming it in their bodies sure i read recently well, not recently years ago actually within the last 5 or 6 years that the only place you can get basically uncontaminated like like fresh truly fresh seafood is off the coast of new zealand and then about a year ago i read an article that said that's gone can't even get that there now it's reached down to New Zealand and all food sources, all ocean food, all seafood is going to be contaminated with one thing or another, whether it's, you know, metals or plastics or whatever it is, you can't get away from it. It's kind of gross. So what do we do? I mean, I think we're, it's probably a foregone conclusion that we're past the point of no return with regards to, you know, the environment here, but I mean, there's things we can do ourselves. We can, like you touched upon it, we can reduce the plastic that we use by using, you know, drinking vessels instead of plastic. Try to recycle it, you know. Maybe I'm not a huge fan of of reusing things, that, but sometimes you got to reuse things, I guess, you know. You really do. Or switch to glass, you know. Glass food containers, not plastic. I get it. You can't travel with it. Again, plastic is convenient. That's why it's, so prolific. Mm-hmm. Or just start accepting it and just um, really start getting used to that plastic tinged shrimp linguine. Mwah! Well, there's effects people's health though, right? I mean, they, don't, yeah. they probably oh, yeah. don't know quite what that is yet, but they're finding microplastics in people now. So if you're eating it. I'm sure they've been finding that for years though, man. That has to have been going on for decades now since, since plastics came out. I mean, I think that probably in the last five to 10 years has been when this really became an issue. Not that plastic hasn't been an issue before, but I only see people's bodies reading. Yeah. in people's bodies. Yes. Yeah. So are we just screwed. It's just done. I don't know how we have to, I mean, plastic is everywhere, dude. It's everywhere. It's like, I mean, I'm looking out my window right now and there's like a tent in this guy's backyard, sunshade thing. That's plastic, you know? 
there's all these solar panels. You know, the, the, the frames of all these solar panels are made of plastic. That jungle gym right there is mostly plastic and cheap-ass aluminum. You know what I mean? I'm looking at the ladder right now. Then the step on top is a big plastic fucking plank. You know, it's just like that TV in his backyard. That's obviously trash. That's all plastic. It's everywhere. It's uh, my car. Most cars now are almost entirely ceramic and plastic. What do you do about that? Cell phones? It's everywhere. How do you stop that? Ceramic, maybe? Ceramic is getting pretty advanced. I suppose. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to do. I think I think there's 8 billion people on the earth now. I just don't think it's sustainable, ultimately. No, it's not sustainable. And you know what? When that huge like solar storm hits and then everything's knocked out and we don't have lights, cell phones, all the satellites get knocked out and we're all like like killing each other to try to get a candle and a piece of bread, you know? Uh, yeah, then it'll start to reverse. Just like during the pandemic, man. Southern California, when all the cars went off the roads for all those months, right? Remember that? And they, they gave like a percentage of how much cleaner the air was almost immediately just from having all those cars suddenly off the road. That's the difference is people need to drive less, they need to consume less, and they need to reuse things that they use bottles and things like that they have to stop just using something and throwing it fucking away it doesn't work it's not sustainable yeah so it comes almost again back from that whole it being cheap thing right like sometimes people buy things like oh i don't need this you know i'm just gonna use it's just gotta i didn't plan on buying this one thing for camping so i'll just get this one it's good enough but sometimes maybe cheap isn't always the best right buy something so instead of buying a cheaper one that is going to break in the time and the time that it would take that something else that was of higher quality could last. You know what I mean? Uh, that's not a good way of saying people, it, but it, pe people always look in the short term. Dude. They look in the short term. So yeah. it's like right now, this is the least expensive. So on the front end, doing something that is truly sustainable is a lot more expensive, but then over time, it turns out that it actually costs a lot less per person. If you just do it. Yeah. That's the problem is just doing it kind of like solar panels cost a shitload to get your own solar panels. But over time that pays off. Next thing you know, you're self-sustainable. I don't know how long it takes, five, 10 years, whatever it's paying for itself. And you already earned all that money back. And now you basically are getting not free, but you're getting basically free energy. You're off the grid. You know, it's the same kind of thing, but who has like 10, 20, $30,000 to put up huge solar panels on their house or, you know what I mean? Not many people do. Yeah. And that's why I think things like the Walmart, I'm not knocking Walmart or Target or anything like that, but yeah, you'll get a lot of stuff. It's like cheap, immediate now. And maybe that's yeah. not always the best thing. And did you know, this has a little bit to do with plastics, but did you know that a full one third of all trash, all trash on the, are cigarette butts? That's disgusting, dude. Yeah. I just found that out as go and I was kind of gagging when I saw that because when I smoke, right? When I smoke, I always do like the field strip, tear it apart, step on it, you know, so there's no fire hazard. And I always find some sort of receptacle to put it in the trash. I don't just flick it on the ground or into the gutter. And I still see cigarette butts everywhere on the ground, dude. And if you really look, most people don't even notice. But if you if you just go outside and look around, it won't take you long to find a bunch of them. Even in the nicest neighborhoods, they're everywhere, dude. And when I read it was like a full third of all trash, I was like, not really surprised more disgusted but to have an actual figure was like oh man that really sucks it really does nicotine's a hell of a drug i guess nicotine's a perfect drug dude it knows how to calm you down and it knows how to pick you up and i, I know that's not a popular thing to say but it's true nicotine is a perfect drug you don't have to smoke it either you could chew the gum or whatever you know but when you're stressed it will help level you off and if you're like if you need that little pickup it helps pick you up. It's a hell of a drug indeed. I think it's the most addictive thing on the planet, isn't it? I have no idea. I think it is. I think it's more addictive than heroin or anything. I believe I read that once. Yep. Mm -hmm. But Scattering Podcasts are not masters or professionals or experts in just about anything except metal. Except metal. That's right. Heavy metal. <laughs> Let's end this. All right, man. Well, you know, sometimes it's it's interesting to talk about things, even though it's depressing. I feel like I, you know, you read this and you don't know, you don't know what to do about it. And maybe there's nothing that you can do about it. But even if just, just have an awareness and instead of, you know, buying that plastic 
case of water bottles and yeah and then you reuse your bottle you know a, a metal bottle or something and if you know billion people do that that's a huge impact Personal water bottle. I see a lot of people carrying their own personal water bottles. Just fill it, fill it up from, fill it up at work from the fucking the water cooler or, or from your you know Brita filter or whatever filtered water, whatever. Do that. Don't just fucking go out and buy all those goddamn cases that have plastic bottles. It just kills me. It's like I almost don't. I don't understand why they're even produced. Why is that even still made? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like everyone's trying to do this and that, but it's like one of those things that it's kind of looked over. It's like, well, I gotta have my bottle of water though, man. Uh, okay well maybe it'll maybe it'll, it'll change you know i know here where we live uh the whole plastic bag thing you know they, they they're banning the certain types of that thin plastic in some places they're banning plastic cutlery they're banning straws they're doing different things yeah i guess that phrase that they tell you reduce reuse recycle i guess is what you should do the uh, plastic bags they have in supermarkets now not only do they make you pay for it which you know, promotes people bringing their own bags, right? But those things break down really quick. I don't know if they're even made of any sort of plastic anymore. They're made of something that really just disintegrates. And I know this because I was putting my uh, recycling can, you know, I recycle cans. And at the old place, I was storing them in those bags. And if you don't take them in to get recycled within like just a couple of weeks, I would pick up one of those bags with cans in it and it would just disintegrate and cans would go everywhere. And I was like, oh, that's what they're making these things out of. Like basically air. Dude, yeah. they just like- yeah degrade into nothing now which is good so that's a start yeah i mean it is they're making plastic now from corn starches or something like the byproducts of farming of corn and the whole corn syrup thing they're also using that's, that's algae genius. there you go they're using yeah. algae which seems like a great way to do it because you can culture that i think pretty easily and they're even able to use these plastics and they're starting to develop technologies where they can 3d print these things. So, you there know, you there's a little ingenuity in there. I don't think it's going to be one thing. Maybe you have to launch some of this stuff to the, to the sun. Maybe you do have to, <laughs> plastics. maybe you have to do X, Y, and Z. Well, you know, that, that sand, that, that company that created that stuff for like when there's an oil spill and there's all that oil in the ocean and, and this company created this stuff, it's like a sand or something. And you just you just dump it on top of the oil slick, and this like enzyme or something basically thrives on the petroleum and just devours it and turns into nothing and just becomes part of the ocean again. And it's fairly expensive, but it actually works. Maybe they need something like that for the gyre. They can just dump this like weird sand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then fifty years from now they'll realize that that sand was sentient and is taking over the planet. Always something. Everything comes at a price. I guess that's the ultimate takeaway here. Everything comes at a price. Yeah. Do it smart. <laughs> Be smart. Or just say, fuck it. I don't give a fuck about this place. Let the world burn. So uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone.